I'm Tara Oldridge and you're listening to The Smart Woman Show. I believe that every woman has a powerful, profitable, and impactful business inside of them that God has called them to create. This podcast is for women who have a deep sense that they want more, more out of life, relationships, and business. This show is going to give you the tools to be everything God created you to be by sharing strategies, tactics, and heart-centered lessons so you can stop stopping yourself at the fear of the unknown and finally take your inspired vision and turn it into an impactful business. There's no excuses here. Are you ready to commit? Let's do this. So welcome to the Smart Woman Show, Jarek. It is hey, so thank great. thank you for having me. Nice to yeah. see you. It is so great to have you. And for those of you watching, um, the smart woman in behind her computer screen right now, like dying to see this interview. I know, I get it. I don't know if I need to tell you that he has been on TED stages. He has been featured in Forbes. He has been in the Business Insider and the list goes on. Um, but here's what is so cool. I'm diving into you. I'm digging into your stuff. Obviously, I listen to your podcast. And it's all the things. And what I love so much about you is that you called me in today on somebody that you interviewed. I don't even remember her name, but it was all about authenticity. And like, as we grow in this world of, I like to call it the awakening, self-help, self-whatever. That's not, that's not it. It's like this awakening that's happening. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And we, I was having a, a call this morning with Olivia. Actually, you had Olivia on your show, I believe. She's also on my show. She goes, you know, we are the brunt of this like massive transition of the new world. What do you think about that? I like it. I I think it's something, if I were to look at that concept of of the transition of the new world and what's happening in the awakening and the realigning and and, uh, the age of Aquarius and you tie these pieces in, historically, there's always been cycles of this and we're a generation that's of a cycle of a new change. There's a great book on this called The Fourth Turning written by Harvard and Yale psych, uh, um, historians who looked at, at the cycles of history that happened within this country. And, and yeah. it's pretty remarkable. They found that there was every so many years a cycle that happened where it literally repeated itself. And we're the cycle right now, uh, our generation, who... Um, there were some really great things that happened. We were, we were the cycle and I forget the exact term they use. I wish I had it in front of me. Uh, but, but it, it's, we're the cycle that, that kind of changes things where the cycle before us, um, give me one second. Let me just Google this. And yeah, Google really it. And then like, uh, while you're Googling it, my girlfriend was telling me she's all into this, you know, astrological stuff in the cycles and what you're talking about. And she was saying, you know, when my son was born in 2014, Cooper, and she goes, you know, this is such a special year because of the, the, this is like the, this is the new person. This is the new people, the new, it's not just a generation. It's like a new species of human uh, as of 2014. Exactly. So here's what it is. The fourth turning how Ian Strauss identified, so those are two historians, generational archetypes. And here's the four archetypes, a hero, an artist, a prophet, and a nomad. And each consists of people born within a roughly 20-year gap of time. And each archetypal generation reaches its end of 80-year lifespan, and then the cycle repeats. And, and so the millennials were, which one were we? I, I believe that we're the end 
So my dad's generation, which is the one behind us, the baby boomers, there were the prophets and then there was nomads. I think we were the beginning of the hero generation, which is, which is why it oh would God. feel as if things are like it needs a new hero. It needs a new person, yeah. except for the hero generation before us had to handle things that at that stage of history were needed to be handled. So you hear about the great generation who at 18 years old, you know, packed up and went to war on the other side of earth to defend the the world at that point, world war, um, and then came home. And right when they got home, you know, there was a great depression and it was like, oh my gosh. And like just one thing after the next thing, after the next thing. And the difference is the heroes of our generation have to handle a whole different set of challenges. Luckily, knock on wood, there is not a world war right now, and I hope there is not one in any time soon. Um, but well, there are world challenges that are right. still being handled around the world. And not war challenges, but the fact that the forest is depleting. That is a big challenge. And if that continues, the world ends. These are uh, a war. They are. All the biochemistry addiction to your phone, to your technology, to all this stuff. Um, believe it or not, that you know people work to get us addicted to this stuff. They have brain scientists that come in and put little brain caps on people and say, hey, when we turn it red versus yellow, what part of their brain lights up? No, 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 let's try orange. Ah, oh, there it is, that lit up the right part. So they're usually lit using neuroscience to actually get our brain to do the thing they want it to do by using the colors, by using the sounds, by using every little bit of technology. They're programming it purposefully to cause our brain to run a very specific pattern that they want to get us to do something or feel a certain way. And, and they spend a lot of money on this research and then they use it and it works because it's scientifically backed research that's proven to get us to respond a certain way. I like to use this kind of stuff to help people be better. <laughs> Instead of getting them addicted to my app or my book or my thing that I have, I'm like, why can't I just help someone feel happier or more fulfilled with their life or find some more joy in their day? Mm -hmm. How can I help people have a better relationship? How can I have help people enjoy um, themselves more? And, and, you know, instead of sitting in a room and feeling lonely, they sit in a room and feel peace. Mm. And there was a, there's an interesting quote. It says, you know, you sit down, you grab a cup of tea, and then there's silence. For some people, this is the greatest moment of peace in their life. For other people, this is a horrific moment of tragedy because they have to face themselves and it freaks the hell out of them. Yeah. It's like, whoa. Well, the question is, well, which are you? Can you sit in a moment of silence and actually enjoy the peace that exists there? Or is there so much going on that when you get a moment of silence, it's scary as hell because there's a lot of stuff you still got to deal with on the inside. And for most people, there's a lot of stuff they have to deal with, which means they have to do the work. You got to go sit in that silence. I think one of the hardest things that I've heard people have done, there's something called the Vipassana retreat, which is a seven day silent meditation where you literally sit there in silence for seven days. Don't talk to anyone. Don't read anything. Don't listen to anything. Don't do anything except for sit in silence. And for the first so many days, you just hear the stuff that's going, just going. And then after a while, you start to hear your observational thoughts like, that's a bird. Wow, it's kind of sunny out right now. Like you just hear random thoughts. And then after like four days in the seven, You'll just be sitting there and there's just nothing. And what's funny is people look at me and be like, really, nothing? You're like, yeah, 
you got there. But it took four days of silence to let all the dust settle enough to get to a place where you could remember what space between thoughts felt like. And the people I've talked to have said day four through seven is the hardest day of their entire life. Hardest day they've ever done. And they've done some crazy shit. Like I've talked to US Navy SEALs who said that was harder than some of the shit they had to do on duty. Yeah, well, especially what they've been through and all the thoughts that they would have. I mean, the stuff that they've seen. And I mean, we all have traumas, right? Yeah. Whether we've gone to war, whether we've been abused sexually, physically, mentally, we all have that stuff. Yeah. I think it's just really important as the heroes that we be responsible in this new era. And I had no idea this you were going to mention that. So I love that you have because it really is the glue now for this uh, you know, a, I see it as an awakening that's happening in the fact that we get to be responsible with this hero, whether we want it or not, we're the heroes, yeah. right? And so we can either do what Jarek's doing, do what Tara's doing and create something really positive with everything that's going on, or we can get caught in the drift. And we can be like this all day and we can walk into an elevator full of people and be like this and not acknowledge anyone. And we can refuse to connect, uh, disconnect, re refuse to engage, love, accept, appreciate, you know, and be human because, because here's what I think and tell me what you think. I think that these are programming us to be robots and eventually we are going like, there's not going to be money anymore. Our currency is going to be who can connect and still be human and who is caught in the drift. Partially. I, I think the piece you just nailed is important. Right now, the reason that that device is turning you into a robot is because someone else is in charge of your biochemistry. Mm -hmm. Meaning that company that paid that scientist hundreds of thousands of dollars to figure out if we make it red instead of orange, it causes the response in their brain, which is eliciting a whole cascade of biochemical releases in your body. It's releasing dopamine, releasing serotonin, releasing, uh, you know, oxytocin to make you feel connected. It's, it's purposely doing it. Like I'll give you a, for instance, if you went out and you did a random act of kindness, mm. um, you get a shot of dopamine, meaning that kind of just hit where it feels good. It's like a pleasurable response. You also get a hit of serotonin, which makes you feel connected and bonded to someone around you. You also get a rush of adrenaline, that feeling where you get the like sweaty palms right before you do the good deed where you kind of get nervous, butterflies yeah. in your stomachs. So you have adrenaline, serotonin, and dopamine all being fired off in your brain at the same time while this is happening. Now here's what's fun. The person receiving it is also getting the hit of all three of those chemicals as well. And anyone who observes it, this is why if you go on YouTube or Facebook, and you watch a random act of kindness, sometimes you'll get choked up or got a little tear in your eye and you'll be like, oh my God, that was so nice. You got the same three chemical releases and observation as they did in doing it or receiving it. Now, what's interesting right now, if you depend on going to Facebook to get that hit, Facebook is controlling that, that chemical response in your body. Versus if you wanna take control of it, go outside and go do a random act of kindness. And wow. now you've taken control of that biochemical release in your body and you're controlling your chemistry. You're controlling dopamine, oxytocin, and serotonin, which are making you feel better, which is scientifically proven if you did one random act of kindness a day for 30 days, Harvard proved it in scientific studies that you're gonna feel happier about your life 30 days later. 
And how are you feeling happier? Not because it's a do good thing. It's because you've literally gotten a new set of chemical reactions in your body to occur, which is increasing your overall satisfaction with your life. It's changing how you feel. I have people who call me all the time and be like, I'm depressed. What do I do? I'm like, I can tell you exactly what to do. Do 30 minutes of cardio exercise every single day. Do a random act of kindness every day. Write down three things you're grateful for every day. Focus on one specifically and write, one, write a page in length about why you're grateful for that. And, and then get high quality sleep every night and meditate for 10 minutes. And they're like, oh yeah, those are real positive things to do. I was like, I don't give a shit about how positive they are. I'm looking at the chemistry that they're wow. creating in your body. Wow. I'm, I'm playing chemist with you right now. Instead of letting your phone play chemist with you, choose to be your own chemist. Choose to be your own person. Now, I'm going to rephrase that because there's some people around the world who go, oh, I got what you're saying and they're going to make some kind of crazy ass drugs. Don't do that yeah. shit. Don't do, do drugs. Activity. Don't do drugs. Do it with activity. Yeah. Go for the run. Do the random act of kindness. Write down three things you're grateful for. Do the activities that produce the chemical result you want in your body and watch how it changes who you are. I have a client I've been working with. He is on day 32. 32 days ago, he came to me. He was on sleeping medication because he couldn't sleep properly. He was on ADD medication because he couldn't focus. Mm -hmm. And this dude, according to the outside world, was killing it making $750,000 a year, lives in a yeah. great house, has a cool car, dating a couple good looking girls, like hey, he's killing it. Internally, royally jacked up. So I said, okay, I'm gonna give you one thing to do every day for the next 30 days. And if you do it, you'll be a different human. And he's like, seriously, what? What's one thing I could do every day that would totally get me off the sleeping meds, get me off the ADD meds, totally help me get my shit straight, help me grow my business, help me get my stuff together. Like it's going to sound crazy. It's going to sound simple, but it's not that, that easy. And it's going to be a little challenge. I want you to take a three minute ice cold shower to start every day. First thing in the morning, the moment you wow. wake up, I don't want you to think, I don't want you to justify. I don't want you to go turn it on and stand there and like try to get yourself in pumped up. Like I want you to just turn it on and go ah, and get in it before you have time to think. Wow. Okay. Why did you do that? Because of what chemistry it's releasing. Mm. So when you hit ice cold water for three minutes, like cold, cold, all the way cold, zero heat, you yeah. go straight into it and you breathe through it. The first 30 seconds will feel a little bit of shock. So your body's going to want to run. It's going to be like, ah, and try to get the hell out. Yeah. Stay, breathe, just breathe. You're fine. You're not going to die. Breathe. And if you breathe through it, eventually about a minute into it, you'll start to be able to catch your breath. About a minute and a half into it, you'll start to find a rhythmic breathing. It'll still be cold as hell. But about two minutes into it, it won't feel as cold anymore. And I remember he was literally, he got out, he called me the first day, crying, literally like shaken up as a grown ass man, like almost crying. He's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm like get in the shower. He's like, okay, I'll try it again. I'll try it again. And he's like, ah, it's too cold. It's too cold. And then he's screaming from the shower. Am I done yet? Am I done yet? Is it enough? Is it enough? Oh, wow. And he gets back out and he got out after two minutes. So he gets out, he's like, oh my God, no, it's too much. I can't do it. We, maybe this is the wrong thing. Maybe I signed up at the wrong time in my life. Maybe this won't work. And it seems so simple in your mind, but mm -hmm. it's hard. Mm -hmm. And most people won't stick with this. And so I, I'm like, get in the shower. He's like, fine, fine, fine. Well, well, will you promise to yell when it's three minutes? Like, don't leave me in there, man. So he gets in there, he does the whole three minutes, he comes out. And what's funny is after two and a half minutes, he's like, it's not even that cold. It's not even that cold. I don't even know what he was freaking out about. Now, what happened at that two, two and a half minute mark 
he got all the benefits of fight or flight in his body. His adrenals fired, his dopamine fired off, his muscles tightened, his eyes focused, his brain became more aware, and his sugar started breaking down better, so he had more energy. All the things that happen when your body goes into fight or flight, like a saber tooth jumps out of the bush and you go, ah, yeah, freaked out, that feeling, all the benefits in his body were released at about minute two and a half of the three-minute ice-cold shower, which means he went from Bruce Banner to the Hulk. Wow. Which means okay. he activated a superhuman version of himself. When he walks out of that shower, this dude feels like he could run through a brick wall. Like you're, so if you're watching this, all you business badass women out there, three-minute ice-cold shower to start the day every day. First, first few are going to suck. Um, he's on day 32. He's a different human. He's lost 15 pounds in the last 32 days. Yeah. He's working out twice a day now. He was working out once a week when we met. He's working out twice a day now by choice. I didn't tell him to do that. He just yeah. feels so damn good. He's like, I'm going to go to the gym after work too. It just feels good. When he feels exhausted at the end of the day, he texted me this the other day. Here it is. P.S. I just took my second ice cold shower of the day for more energy before my four mile run walk tonight. Thanks, man. It's really helping. And by day 31 at that point, he's taken an extra cold shower in the afternoon just for more energy, which means he finally figured out, ah, when I want more energy, I hit the cold shower. It cascades all the biochemically chemical results in my body. And all of a sudden I feel superhuman again. You're on to something crazy here. Like this is amazing because, oh my gosh, it's one I'm looking, just looked at the clock. One, two, three on the thing. And it's true. Like we have everything that we need to be amazing right here. Right. And like who, all it, it was your coaching, but who is involved in him getting in an ice cold shower? Tim, I can't make him do it. I could yell at him. He didn't have to listen. That was his choice. You know, that was his choice to say, I'm going to do it. So here's what I would call you in for is like, yeah, it's his choice, but can we talk about how necessary this kind of stuff is? Yeah. Because I'm, I'm, I know that we're in this place where it's like, okay, well, yeah, like maybe I'll do that. Maybe I won't, but I really want to zero in on like, it's hammer time now. These don't get to dictate our lives. These, you know, the technology, like I had no idea this interview was going to go this way, but it's, I know this is what these, these women need to hear. It's like, no, you get to make these decisions now to do something different, to interrupt your patterns that you were doing yesterday because what you were doing yesterday got you to today. And even though today's amazing, like there's more. So what else? More, more shower stuff. What else can we do? So three minute ice cold shower, 30 minutes of cardio per day. Okay. Um, you know, the other thing we talked about, random act of kindness. Uh, if you want to boost that, you can do one hour of volunteer work. One to two hours of volunteer work per week will also help. Um, peer group. Peer group's a huge, huge game changer in this. And it, it, it's something, well, hold on. Before peer group, there's something more important. Sleep. Mm. High quality sleep. Okay. Now, for all you mamas out there who are moms and business owners and wives and badass everything else you do in your life, um, the challenge you have with sleep is I realize whenever I've talked about sleep in front of a group, someone will be like, oh, you obviously don't have a one-year-old, do you? And I was like, what do you mean? And some lady pulled me aside one time. She's like, oh, I don't watch scary movies. Are you joking? I wake up at two in the morning and my two-year-old is silently standing in the dark staring at me. That's all the scary <laughs> that I need. And, and moms laugh about this stuff because it's what happens as a mom. You have an innate ability to be an incredible human being. You, you 3D printed a human being in your belly. Yeah. And then, and then they came out, which is a miracle in itself of how that works. 
And all of a sudden you have this human that you're now biologically connected to more so than men and fathers are, meaning like it sneezes funny at two in the morning and like the mom dar goes off. It's like radar, but mom dar. And you're like, it sneezed. And you're just like up moving and taking care of child on the other side of the home somehow. It's incredible what you all can do. Now, what's amazing about all that is a lot of times you get mom brain and mom brain comes from you're not sleeping, you're not eating, you're not taking care of yourself. And back in the day, like I've gone to Fiji a bunch growing up, there, there's a rule that, and it's just a cultural village rule. When there's a baby born for the first 12 months of their life, that baby will never be set down on the ground ever. Why? Because they're always being held by someone in the village. Because the village is their family, not just their relative, not just their, not just. But how does the baby get to learn to walk? So eventually, you know, then they start letting it crawl and sit down and do all this stuff. But that first 12 months, it's always being held. And how connected that person feels in the village, the whole village is their family. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Why am I resisting that? Because we live in a time of separation. We live in a time where I have a house, I have my child, I have a door, I lock my door, people stay out, it's me, it's separate. Mm-hmm. And back, you know, the way they live, they still live in a village there, is it's one village. There's no locks on the doors, there's always people in the village. You know, everyone is your auntie and uncle. If you know the Indian, the East Indian culture, I have these two friends in Tampa, and they'd be like, oh yeah, my cousin, my cousin. And I'm like, oh yeah, I think they're cousins. And one of their friends was like, well, they could be cousins because they do hang out a lot. Turns out they're not fucking cousins. (laughs) And I'm like, what the fuck are you telling me you're cousins? They're like, oh, everyone's a cousin. If you're Indian, you're cousins. Like we're all, we're all brown. We're Indian. Yeah. Like seriously. And I'm like, what about that? And she's like, auntie, uncle, auntie, uncle. Everyone's your auntie and your uncle. Everyone, every, every older woman or man is an auntie or an uncle. It's just a respectful thing to say. I was like, that's weird. That's not how we do it in the US for the most part. Like everyone is not my aunt and uncle. Everyone is not my relative here. That is not my cousin. I don't know you. And yeah. we're so used to separation, the constant connection is weird for us. But in reality, if you go back to the way villages were, the whole concept of it takes a village to raise a little one. Our village has been broken up nowadays. And now we've resorted to a digital village where we all bitch and moan at each other and, and attack each other online. Mm. Sometimes we support each other and love each other too. There's beauty there as well, but it's separated us. We're sitting in our own homes by ourselves feeling lonely. I just did this little piece and I posted it up on, on Instagram. I was talking about someone feeling lonely. I had a client I talked to. She was a businesswoman in New York city. She called me one time and she's like, I feel really lonely every day. What do I do? And I was like, that's gotta be a fucking talent. You live in New York City. There's 13 million people in a very small radius. Uh-huh. And you feel lonely. You're physically bombarded by human beings everywhere you go. Uh-huh. And I said, do you feel lonely or do you not feel seen? Mm. What'd she say? And she said, what do you mean? And I said, lonely, meaning you feel alone. Not being seen, meaning people are walking right past you every day, but no one's seeing the truth of who you really are. Mm-hmm. And she went, <gasps> and it landed. Yeah. And it was like, oh, okay. you're not feeling seen, which means you have some barriers up and you're not showing people who you really are, mm-hmm. which means you're wearing a mask that you've learned to put on because you're supposed to be tough. 
you're supposed to be strong. You're supposed to be soft. You're supposed to be beautiful. You're supposed to be creative. You're supposed to be something else other than you are. And we've been trained that you got to put all this shit on your face, masks, a mask of strength, a mask of creativity, a mask of cuteness, a mask of whatever. Yeah. Because that will make us beautiful. That will make us attractive. That will make us what other people want. That will make us acceptable in society. Sometimes it's about learning to take all that shit off and just being yourself yeah. and looking yourself in the eyes every day and saying three things you actually love about who you are with all of this shit on your face. Yeah. And just going, wow, I really appreciate who I am. I really appreciate who I am here in my heart. And when you start to find your own beauty on the inside, all of a sudden other people get to see it too. Mm. But if you're hiding your own beauty from yourself and masking it with all these things you're supposed to think you're supposed to be, what's happening is no one else can see the shit you're hiding even from yourself. Yeah. And so you got to be able to see it first. You got to be able to appreciate it first. And once you start appreciating it, other people will start to see it as well. The truth is it's always been there. It's always been beating in your chest, that beauty that, that is who you are. It's just a lot of times we've been taught by society, by the media, by our friends, by our family, that we got to cover it up with all these layers of stuff that is going to finally make us the way we think we'll be loved, accepted, better friends with somebody, get a better job, get a promotion, get something out of life by the way we present ourselves with all these masks on instead of peeling back the layers and just showing up as our authentic self. I don't know many women that wake up in the morning and go, specifically talking to women now, I don't know many women that are like, fuck, I can't wait to spend 45 minutes on my makeup this morning. <laughs> like that's not, that's not the thought that goes into it. Yeah. I haven't heard it yet. And I mean, there's a few people. One of my cousins is a makeup artist. She loves that shit. Yeah. But she's a makeup artist. <laughs> yeah. That, that's very different than the woman who's getting ready, trying to breastfeed their child, put all their damn makeup on, do their hair, put their power suit on and get to the damn meeting by time. I don't hear her being like, oh yeah, I love that yeah, 45 no, minutes. I can, to <laughs> I can totally attest to it this morning when I'm rushing to interview Olivia I'm rushing. My daughter's got lipstick all over her face because she wants to be just like mama. And She's mama, doing it right like, though. Oh, She's hurry thinking. up. Look, I was interviewing Jarek Robinson. I got to look good. So, okay. I'm going to be like, I'm going to come to this place real quick. Yeah. Let me rewind it. Yeah. yeah. Rewind. I'm not saying don't put the makeup on. I, I'm saying don't put the mask on that goes with the makeup. Right. And the mask is an emotional decision that thinks you have to be something other than yourself. Yeah. And so that for me, because, and I can speak so openly to this because I'm in the middle of leadership transformation. Yep. I am like so deep in my leadership. I, I mean, I'm sure that you've done, well, you have, I mean, I, <laughs> you have, you're, you're, you're so well-versed in this. That's why you're here. So, and you can coach me on this. I'm going to take advantage of the fact that I have like the number one coach in the world right now in front of me to help me with my personal stuff. And then hopefully who's watching can, can relate. I um, have this thing where I want everyone to validate me. Sure. I like need permission. Like for example, this summit's a really great example of like me not feeling worthy enough because I pulled in huge names. Like I really did. Like I've got Jarek Robbins. It's a really big accomplishment for me to have you on my show. And then like Ed Milet and Sherry Salata and the list goes on of these heavy I call them heavy hitters, but here's my worthiness conversation. Like I don't need Jarek Robbins to validate me by being on my show. We have the same movement going on of helping people and supporting people and serving people. Like it's not this like 
battle between like who's more profound, you know? So I really get to step into my worthiness and stop wearing that mask of like, well, Jarek's gracing me with his presence, you know? And not that you made me feel that way or anything like that. It's, it's what I evoked from myself and this worthiness conversation that I get to have. I mean, James Altucher is on the show, Altucher right? That was big for me. And so my whole interview was just me getting him to coach me on like, why did I go into this unworthiness thing with having you on my show? Yeah. Yeah. So that's my mask. Which is powerful one to recognize it. And, and there's beauty in that for other people who are watching. And, yeah. and the, the piece that helps people get through that is three buckets. Mm. And the, the three buckets, number one is I am enough, oh. which is a big bucket. Like I am enough, not according to anyone else in the world, according to yourself. Yeah. And so for most people, you got to take that phrase, I am enough and write down what has to happen for me to be enough as a human being. Yeah. And it's like, well, shit, I don't know. Mm. And people sit there and they're like, I am enough. And for most of us, um, you know, for most of us, when we were younger, there was someone we really desired love or attention or connection with, mm -hmm. and we desired it from them. We wanted it from them. We craved it from them. Mom or dad, brother or uncle, sister, aunt, cousin, grandma, grandpa, somebody, someone in our immediate connection that we wanted or craved that love and connection from. Without their coaching, we came up with what we believed we had to be in order to receive that love or attention or affection. We came up with a list. So we yeah. came up with, I have to be like this and like this and like this. If I'm kind and generous and funny, then they'll love me. But if I'm not kind and generous and funny, we came with a second list, what we could never be. Because if we were that way, if we were rude or sloppy or mean or too loud or too quiet or not an A student, whatever we came up with, if yeah. I was that way, then they would stop loving me. And so all of a sudden we came with a list of who we thought we needed to be, who we thought we could never be. And what's funny is if we fast forward 37 years later, 32 years, 28 years later, whatever it is, 10 years later, five years later, all of a sudden you look back and go, who am I today? Mm -hmm. And for most of us, we're a reflection of who we thought we needed to be as a kid to receive that one person's love or attention. Beautiful. And I was like, oh shit. I've been living my life as a reflection of who I thought I needed to be to get my dad's love when I was seven years old. Yeah. Well, damn, that was a good fucking 30 years that just went by on that case. Now, what do you do from here? We got to ask the next question, which is, who am I? Like, what is the most natural, authentic, true, real version of me? And you got to look at that list and you got to cross off the shit that no longer applies and you got to circle the stuff that's 100% you and you go, okay, I'm going to be more of that every day. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be more of my natural self every day. And that's it. I'm just going to choose you. And realize you're going to suck at it in the beginning because it's new. You've been wearing a damn mask for however many years you've been alive. And you've been really good at doing the mask dance or doing the mask, you know, masquerade every day and showing people this is who I am. And all of a sudden you have this real authentic version of you. It, it might feel like you're, you're a little mouse in the beginning where you're like, ah, I don't know. It's kind of weird. Or someone's like, what happened to you? Why did you change? And you're like, I didn't change. I got rid of the shit that's not me and I'm just myself now. And yeah. I appreciate your damn support. That's number <laughs> one. You know, number one is I am enough. Yeah. Number two 
This is a big one. I have enough. This one's difficult in the modern age of Instagram because every time you go on Instagram, you see some awesome human being who apparently has 10 bazillion dollars more than you and can do all the cool shit and apparently doesn't have a fucking job. Um, I live in Miami Beach, so this seems to be natural here because you look outside and you see all these people laying on the beach driving Ferraris all day and no one has a fucking job, but everyone apparently has endless amounts of cash here for some reason. (laughs) And the funny part is all this shit is rented here, so it's entertaining as well that most of it isn't even real. And it's what's happening nowadays. And I remember when I was a kid, you know, I, there was this one music video that came on an MTV music videos. For those of you old enough to remember this, who are watching MTV music videos, I would get up in the morning, Carson Daly would be playing the videos. And there was one video that if it came on, I thought it would be the fucking greatest day of my life. Cause yeah. I knew everything was going to go right. If, if that one video hypnotized by Biggie Small, if that video came on, <laughs> day was made helicopters, cars, motorcycles, good looking people. Yeah. yeah. It's like cool shit. And the 15-year-old the version of me was like, man, if someday I could experience some of that stuff, oh, man, I would really feel like I have enough in life. I would have way more than enough in life if I could have that. Mm-hmm. Fast forward, I had taken a trip around the world. I was now living in a village in Uganda. I was three months into this journey teaching organic farming. Um, mm-hmm. I was teaching people how to build stoves out of the clay. I was teaching people how to do kitchen gardens outside of their homes so they have good, healthy food teaching people how to retill the soil. And this is rural Ugandan farming lands, meaning no running water, no electricity, no toilets. We were in the rural country of beautiful Uganda in Africa. Uh, And it was was simple living. And one of the reasons I was there is to remember, hey, can I fall in love with just living every day? Not doing, not a human doing, but just living. Can I fall in love with waking up in the morning? Can I fall in love with watching the sunrise? Can I fall in love with, just saying hello to my neighbors every day. Can I fall in love with living life? Not doing shit all day, not achieving stuff, not accomplishing stuff, not going places. And while I was living there, I remember just things changed. I was like, wow, I find so much joy in walking to the neighbor's farm and being like, good morning, neighbor. (laughs) It sounds like Mr. Rogers, but I was like, damn, it feels good. Like I enjoy that process now. When I was living in San Diego, going to the University of San Diego, I didn't say good morning to my neighbors. I was like, I got to get to class. I I didn't have time for that shit. And all of a sudden, I started to enjoy living. Now, as I was enjoying living, I landed up getting malaria twice. And to the point that I remember one of my lungs started to slow down. It was like, (gasps) to breathe. I got rushed to the hospital a few times. And I had a doctor sit me down and at one point tell me I had six days left to live. I was like 20 years old, six days left to live. Shit, that was not the plan. (laughs) what like I wanted to go beyond 20 years old and it seemingly might not have happened at that point so what I remember sitting there I'll tell you in a second well I won't ruin the story for everybody I lived I'm still here uh but but Kate some people freak out at that point they're like did you live (laughs) it worked out I'm still here just in case in case someone was holding their breath I'm still here so stop holding your breath I made it but got sat down I had six days left to live and at six days left to live you know, that, that's a scary moment, especially at 20 years old. On the other side of the planet, no family around. I could not fly home to see my family because all of a sudden, if I got on a plane, I'd be quarantined. They're not going to let me fly through other countries like that. That's yeah. sick. Um, you know, I lost, I went from 215 pounds down to 170 something pounds in like three weeks. Yeah. Um, anything I put in, like shot out both ways, it was bad. 
couldn't stand up straight. Like I had vertigo. I'd stand up, get dizzy and fall flat on my face. It was getting worse by the day. Um, and, and what happened when I got told I had six days left to live, all of a sudden what was most important to me changed. I was like, man, if I could just stay healthy, if I could have another healthy day, like if I could have day number seven and be healthy, that would be the coolest thing on earth. You know, if I could just feel better, that'd be the coolest thing on earth. If I could get food to stay in my body, that'd be the coolest thing on earth. If I could just hug my family one more time, that'd be the coolest day on earth. If I could like, I don't know, finish school, that'd be the coolest thing on earth. If I, if I could like find someone to share my life with and get married or something, that'd be the coolest day on earth. If I could, my values adjusted because mm-hmm. I had a whole different perspective. And oftentimes death brings a different perspective in our lives. A good friend dies, a family member dies, a spouse or sibling. And all of a sudden our values rearrange themselves quickly. Yeah. So all of a sudden standing there at 20 years old, I had a whole new set of values of what was most important to me in life. And it was family, love, making a difference, being a good human. It wasn't yachts and helicopters and good looking people and cars. It was the good stuff. And I went on for that for years. And just a few months ago, I ran into this young woman on Instagram. Her name is Kayla Haber. Uh, she should be on this if she's not already, but her name is Kayla Haber. Her, her little hashtag is fight the number two breathe. Mm. She has cystic fibrosis. She was born with it. And for the most majority of her life, when she started off, everything was fine. She was an athlete. She was healthy. She's in great shape, kicking ass at life, having fun. One day she has this like weird thing that happens. They rush her to the hospital and they said, yep, it's kicking in and your lungs are starting to shut down. So they put her on the list. Um, she waits and waits and waits. And all of a sudden they said, hey, we got, we got a transplant, meaning someone, someone has some lungs, you get them. So they took her in, they sliced her open straight down the middle, opened her up, pulled both of her lungs out and put in two brand new lungs into her body. Sewed them up, sewed her up and put her back in a room to wait. And they wait and wait and wait. And the next day she starts to wake up and come off the drug. She's on a lot of pain meds. They're like, what's your name? Where are you? You're okay. And, And all of a sudden they were working and they worked and the transplant worked. And it was like, oh my gosh. And so they sent her out. She was doing good. She's out living life now. She meets a boy. Things get romantic. She's all exciting. They end up progressing and getting engaged and eventually married. And all of a sudden, they're having this great life. Everything's going wonderful. He, she's told him what's real. Like, hey, I have this. It might happen. Like, just, you know, and he's like, totally, I love you so much. It doesn't matter. Let's do this. They're together. Everything's working. And all of a sudden, one day, she has this weird seizure. And that's a sign that the lungs might not be working. Mm-hmm. They rush her to the emergency. The hospital checks everything out. And they said, oh, my gosh, it's not working. Your body is rejecting the lungs. It's not working. And they look through it. They think through it and they go, wow, there's nothing else we can do to help. And so they come into a room and they say, I'm sorry, there's nothing else we can do. And we've talked to all the other hospitals around here and told them not to try because nothing will work anyways. What? And she gets sent home and she's sitting there crying with now her husband, Brian, and they're sitting there, they're crying. And she looks at him and she goes, I didn't fight this hard to give up now. Mm. Help me fight to stay alive. And they write a hundred letters to a hundred hospitals and four right back and said, we'll try. One of them accepted her and brought her in UCLA. They bring her in, they set her up, they hook her up to machines to keep her alive and they put her on the list to wait. She waits and waits and waits. And one day she gets a call at 2.30 in the morning. We've got a pair of lungs, you're up. They rush her in the surgery. They slice her straight down the middle, open her up, pull out the old lungs, put in the new lungs, sew them together, sew her up, put her back in her room. She has tubes down her throat, stuff keeping her alive. And they wait. And the next day, I was interviewing her husband on my podcast, Brian, and her in the following episode, but I was interviewing him. And he said the next day when she woke up, she was on lots of pain meds. 
and she was scrambling for a board to write on because she has tubes down her throat and she can't speak. And so they're asking, where are you? Who are you? Where are you at? And she's scrambling to write something. And she scribbles something on the board. And as she turns it around, he said he saw the biggest smile on his wife's face he's ever seen in his entire life. He said, I, I wish I could tell you our wedding day, she had a bigger smile, but I would be lying. When she turned the board around, it said, I can breathe. Oh. And she had the biggest smile on her face. And her mentor who mentored her through that process said, the day you can fill your lungs with your own air will be the greatest day of your life. The greatest feeling when you can go and on your own willpower, put air into your lungs. She said, it will be the greatest feeling you will have in your entire life. And she says it was. They're like, yeah. wow. And coming back to this bucket of I have enough. When yeah. I heard that, I was like, holy shit, I have enough if I could just breathe. And then a couple weeks later, something funky was happening with her heart. They rushed her back into surgery. She had open heart surgery. And there's this picture. Let me see if I can find it real quick. There's this beautiful picture of her. And it's her right after surgery. There she is. She popped up first on my little stories here. Of course. It's, <laughs> so it's right after surgery. Let me see if I can find this picture. It's a little graphic. But she went in. She had open heart surgery. And she, you know, they cut her open. They put a tube in her heart that's coming straight out of her, the middle of her chest to drain the fluid out of her heart. She's one of the most incredible women who's total, total badass. I need that I've to ever cross paths with. And, and she's a wonderful, wonderful human. I can't find this damn picture. Um, and she had just come out of surgery. So what was wrong with her heart? It started to fill with fluid. Oh, my God. And so even after she had her second double lung transplant, her heart started to fill with fluid, and they rushed her in for open heart surgery to be able to put a tube in it to drain the fluid out of it. And, and she's this amazing, brave, strong, powerful woman who the beautiful part about all this is, even though I apologize, I'm looking down, I'm scrolling through her picture yeah. to try to find the picture I'm looking for even after all this craziness that she lives through and all these fights to stay alive and to keep breathing and to do all this stuff, um, the most amazing part is she spends all of her time finding other people going through the same challenges and has this whole support group she's created, the Fight the Breathe group, that when they track down people going through the same challenge, they all write letters and little notes saying, you're going to make it, you're going to do oh. great, you're going to be fine. And they put them in a big box and they mail them to the person who's going through all the challenges. And all of a sudden they receive a box in the mail that has thousands of letters from people oh. all over the world cheering for them. Unbelievable. And so she spends Power. all her spare time helping people. Not in pity, not saying, woe is me. Not, you don't understand how bad this is. She spends all her time helping people just feel better and be better and do better. And it's the most beautiful thing. Um, you know, here, here's a picture of her going, it looks like going into one of her surgeries. If you can see it. Yeah. Look at her arms up. Yeah. That's gun show out. Unbelievable. And there's, you know, this is, she has it covered up. It's a little little graphic. She has all her stuff covered up, but these are all the tubes and stuff coming out of her body, draining all the different things from lungs and heart and all this stuff. 
Unbelievable. And she's this total badass of a human. And there's this beautiful picture. I'm trying to find it real quick for you. Um, but it's this picture of her sitting in the wheelchair with all the tubes coming out everywhere with a big ass smile on her face and two thumbs up just right out, right out of the other side. And you look at someone like that and you're like, what a badass. Like, but it also puts things into perspective because at, you know, it's like the client that you had that called you and was like, I'm so depressed. And it's yeah. like, okay, you know, we really, as if we're really taking ownership of this new space that we get to live in and in being responsible, like why are we waiting for an emergency like this? right to create urgency like in this moment and then in the next moment and then meeting someone like her who's such a beautiful inspiration and saying hey if i have a breath in my lungs and a beat in my heart and i can breathe on my own willpower yeah i have way more than enough to do good in this world yeah and all of a sudden that bucket is filled because you remember if you're if you can breathe on your own willpower and your heart beats on its own, like it's supposed to, you have more than enough to go do great things in the world and yeah, to, do yeah. good, to make a difference. That's two buckets. There's the third bucket. The third bucket is I'm loved enough. Mm. I am enough. I have enough. And I'm loved enough. This is a big bucket. Most of us have some kind of story we've created or shit we've lived through that made us feel like we're not enough at some point, whether it's childhood trauma, whether it's abuse, whether it's neglect, whether it's everything was fine, but you just made up a fucking story of how you're not enough anyways. Yeah. And all of us have our own shit. Everyone does. I've never met a person who didn't have something that they would wished would have been different than the way it was. Mm -hmm. um, and some, some of it's way more extreme than others. I met a man. He's a, he's a friend of mine. I interviewed him for our podcast as well. His name is Jason. And Jason, growing up, I asked him, as a, you know, who did you want love from as a kid? And he's like, oh man, I don't know. He's like, what I do remember though is every day, watching my dad beat the tar out of my mom. He'd mm. come home and he'd just kick the shit out of her. It was horrible. And after so many years of watching that, I was tired of watching her get beat up. So I started stepping in front of the punches. Mm -hmm. And he would get the shit kicked out of him so bad that he would lock himself in his room for three days with his eyes swollen shut. And three days later, it would slowly unswell so he could see again out of his eye. And he says, you know, zero to 17 years old, that was the only love I knew from a man around me was someone kicking the tar out of me every day. And he's like, I would hide in my bedroom from this man and he would just beat the tar out of my mom anyways. At 17 years old, this man who was his father got sent to prison for attempted murder on him and his mom. He tried to kill them both and failed luckily and got sent to prison for it. So if I just stopped there, you could imagine I am loved enough is a weird topic to ask Jason about. It's a, it's a touchy topic. What do you mean I'm loved enough? And this caused Jason, if you fast forward through his life, to go getting drugs at some point, dealing drugs, taking drugs, be homeless yeah. at some point. Like he had a wild ride because of this whole love thing as a kid. Fast forward. There was a point in time um, where he finally got his shit together. He built a little business. It turned out to be a bigger business than he thought. He got married, had some kids, eventually got a divorce, wasn't the right fit, but he has these beautiful children, has a great business. Everything's working great now. He's doing great things in the world. He's really just kicking ass. He took charge of his life. He's healthy. He's happy. He's doing good in the world. He's got businesses. He's got a good family. Everything's great. And about a year, year and a half ago, we got a call from a group of people that said, hey, we're doing a sting operation to go save about 30 little kids, 9, 10, 12 years old, who've been abducted in the sex trafficking. Are you in? Will you come help? 
Yes. And he was, he said, honestly, of course he wants to end it, but he's like, this shit's dangerous. Mm-hmm. And he's like, why didn't you call me when I was homeless? <laughs> like, a lot less to risk when you're yeah, homeless. Yeah, when I had nothing to live for. When I had nothing to live for, nothing to lose, like, I, I would have loved to do this stuff. It made me feel way better. He's like, now that I have a bunch, alive. he's like, now that I have a stuff, now that I've got kids, now that I've got a family, now I got all this stuff, now the universe wants me to show up and freaking risk mm-hmm. everything. Usually right. how it works. And, and he was like, part of him felt like, you know, he told me to decide, like, part of him felt like, can I just donate? <laughs> like, can I write a check? <laughs> and then the other part, he said, you know, if I didn't physically show up, my shadow mission would be playing a role here. And shadow mission, meaning some part of him would be saying, it's okay for that to exist in the world. Yeah. And he said, it's not okay for that to exist okay. in the world. And therefore, 100%, I'm there. Tell me when and where I'll make it happen. Wow. He showed up. He geared up with a bunch of these guys. They went and did a sting operation. And they, they acted as if they were going to buy these young kids. They went in there, did the deal. All of a sudden, the police break in, bust all these people, wow. drag the people out to jail. And then another group comes in and takes all the kids out. And as there was 30 young 9, 10, 12-year-old boys and girls. I think it was just all girls in that case, but little children who had been tied, tied and handcuffed to beds in this back room being used for $60 on the hour to pleasure people. And as all these kids got swept away and taken out of there, he sat on the edge of one of the beds where there was handcuffs hanging from the rail. And he just sat there in tears. And he sat there in tears and he realized all the shit I lived through growing up as a kid, learning how to get socked straight in the face, prepared me to be the kind of man that can stand and take a punch for someone who fucking needs it. And when you think about this bucket of I am loved enough, most of us have to look back on all the shit we went through, no matter how crazy it was or how simple it was, and realize everything has prepared you to be the type of human that can help another human being in some way, shape, or form if you look for what gift you can offer them. And the gift he could offer was realizing that version of love no one should receive. And so when he sees someone in a position who's going through the shit he had to live through, he's strong enough to fucking stand up for him now as a man. And he told me, he said, I think and really believe with all my heart and soul that everything I went through, all the shit I had to live through, prepared me to be the kind of man that could take a punch for another human being and make it right. And I was like, wow. Wow. When you go back to this concept of I am loved enough, it's realizing the love's always there. Sometimes life is preparing you to be the love for someone else. Most of us like to try to be the sunshine in someone's day because it feels good. Sometimes you got to be the fucking moonlight in their darkest hour. Oh. And Jason was the moonlight in these kids' darkest hour. People who show up at the time when someone needs you, their darkest moment in life and you show up for them in that moment, it's what love really is. It's being there for someone when they need you. And so when you look at these three buckets, I am enough, I have enough, I'm loved enough. It's where all the magic happens. And when these three buckets are filled, you get people who just want to share and help others. And when they're not filled, you get people who want to take, who want to position, who are trying to act a certain way, who start putting masks on, and most of the time, it's because one of these three buckets is aren't filled. Well, Jarek, I am enough. I have enough. I am loved enough. I am a confident, powerful, loving woman. You are my new favorite person. This is my favorite interview on the show. 
I um, want to be very respectful of your time because I know I only had you till two o'clock. So I get to do that for you right now because I have a feeling you could sit here and grace this audience with all of the beautiful stuff that you have in your heart. So what I'm going to say, I'm going to drop everything down here from your website to your podcast, to your Instagram. And I am going to tell you right now, put down everything you're doing and align yourself with this man because you are, you're a hero. One more thing. And this mm-hmm. changed a lot because he asked the question that was important, which is that feeling of, you know, really truly feeling as if you belong in the space and everything's fine. When you try to aim so big, it creates that feeling of not enough because it's always more than what is. Mm-hmm. I used to have that. Something that changed dramatic for me when I sat down and I said, what am I really, really trying to do? And it used to be inspire millions of people, change millions of lives, transform millions of something like millions, billions, bigger, 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 bigger. And I sat down and I said, you know what? If all I did was find a way to reach one human being today at the moment they needed it most with the message they absolutely needed, that made their life a little better. If all I got was to one and I died at the end of today, would I be happy if I just got one? And I was like, yeah, I would. If all I got was one person at the moment they needed us most, at the me- with the message they needed, at the moment they needed, if I, I just got to one, I would call that winning. And the moment that equation changed in my head, all of a sudden the whole game changed. And it it changed the whole mission of our company. Our our mission is really simple. Reach the person, the one person that needs us most at the moment they need it with the message they need. I don't know who they are. I don't know where they are and I don't know what they need. But every day we push out good thoughts and all our platforms and everything we do in hopes that it'll find them at the moment they need it most. And we've been blessed as a company that every day we receive messages from around the world. If you want to check it, go to my Instagram profile and click the little circle that says it's working. And look at all the little messages of people saying, I needed this. Thank you. You know, thanks for the reminder, whatever it is. Just little simple thoughts. It's not profound. It's simple. It's just getting the one every day. And it goes as deep as, you know, I, I, I got a letter back from, from a, a lady who was in the Air Force who got deployed. She came back, had a crazy extreme PTSD. In the letter, she said, every other day this week, I've had my firearm in my mouth wanting to pull the trigger because I don't know why I want to live anymore. He said, someone gave me a copy of your book. I read it and I wanted to say thank you because it reminded me of why I wanted to stay alive. That was the one that day. And that means a lot to me. People ask me if we're successful in business. I said, absolutely, because we reach one person every day that absolutely needs us. And I don't know how extreme it is. Sometimes it's that extreme. Sometimes they just needed something that says, hey, I think I needed that today. Good reminder. But every day we try to reach that one person. And I don't know if it'll help you, but it certainly helped me realizing if I could just find that one person every day, it would be all the difference that I need to make. And if I died at the end of the day, I'd be damn proud that I got to that one person. I love it. I'm your one and I'm going to go find a one right now to make that happen for them. So thank you. Ripple effect. Go get them. Okay. Thanks buddy. Thank you so much. I meant what I said. You're my favorite. Welcome. Have a good day. 
I want to thank you for listening and subscribing to The Smart Woman Show. My vision for you is that you would experience the same level of success me and my friends have. Break open that vision, girl. DM me on Instagram at the Tara Oldridge, and I will send you a link to book a free strategy call with one of my success coaches today. Let's do this.